Christmas is actually for those who hate it most because that's the people that Jesus came for. He came for those suffering, lost and broken. And so we can come in this moment with all our lost, with all our felt experience of living in the in-between, the struggle of where I want to be God, I want to see that provision, I want to see that breakthrough, but I don't, in that waiting that we can experience peace, we can, which was last week, and hope. And today we want to speak about joy. And so would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And we stand to honor God's Word with our bodies. And the passage is Simeon's praise or joy that we're going to be reading today. And it's found in Luke 2, 25 to 32. And it says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which has been prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Let's pray. Father, we slow ourselves down in the chaos, in the movement of all that is going on in our worlds. And God, even as we have worshipped, here comes heaven. Here comes the in-breaking kingdom of God. Lord, as we have sung, there is no other name. God, as we have focused our attention upon you, God, would you again illuminate our minds? God, we recognize and we even confess that we have need today. We have need of transformation in our hearts. And it is good good to gather because there is a blessing as we gather in this space. And I know that you have something good for us today. Lord, would you stir expectation in our hearts where maybe we're a little distracted this morning than usual. Maybe we're a little more tired this morning. And we know that we want to be where we hunger for something, but at the moment we're struggling. And so, God, would you meet us where we're at right now? God, would you meet me where I am at right now? God, as much as, Lord, that we need this nourishment, I need your help as well to communicate this message. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come speak and have your way in the powerful name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Let's start with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Good things, as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get in the water. If you want joy, peace, power, eternal life, you must get close to it or even into it. The things that has them. 
they are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great foundation of energy and beauty and squirting up out of the very center of reality. If you are not close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. Love these words from C.S. Lewis. Just again to read, good things, though little bad, are an infection. Now that's a very relative term right now, infection. Um, And so we know how infective diseases or sickness comes into our worlds. And that infection, C.S. Lewis has illuminated to, there are things in our worlds which do not, um, or which we do not manufacture. There are things in our worlds that we are need. We are not born with joy. We are not born with joy. Um, if any of you have had children, when you come out the womb, you are not exuding joy. Um, you just have mostly cries and what the heck has just happened to me. Uh, kind of world comes screaming into the world of pain. And it's through the, uh, the soothing of the mother that the child begins to experience its first joy. We cannot self-manufacture joy. Joy is a choice, and we need to get close to joy to experience it. Now, some of us are more inclined to joy, right? Some of them are just like, you just give a little bit of joy to someone, they multiply it. They explode with joy. Some of you in the room, even though joy is right next to you, it's still a little challenging, right? I kind of like, this is my humorous thought about how it is contagious. It's like tanning in the sun. Some of you are very inclined to getting a very nice tan. Some of us are not inclined to getting a very nice tan. As try as I might, it does not happen. My wife laying on the the baby oil all over her skin as I'm putting factor 30, 50 on. And so it's different. We are inclined differently. And so we are actually built differently. There are people who are inclined to receiving joy more naturally than other people. And that's okay because we need one another in all of that. The world loves to monetize on this concept that we need to outsource our joy. So I had the honor of being in New York last week. Um, You can see on the side here. And I I wanted to go on a trip, so I went uh, down to Rockefeller because I'm a Home Alone fan, and I had not seen the tree before. And so as an excuse, as I kind of left the rest of the pastors, as we had some spare time, I quickly bolted down on the train over. And I'd never realized the proximity of things. And so I came around the corner, and I saw this, this... kind of parable right before my very eyes. We had St. Patrick's um, Catholic Church with uh, Saks on Fifth Avenue right next to each other. Two joys right before your very eyes. And in this first kind of moment, um, Dior, in case you wanted to know, Dior had partnered up with Saks and they'd spent 10 months orchestrating this giant wheel right over their building. And uh, it was a beautiful thing. It was like a whole Disney experience. Every five minutes, it would kick into this kind of like music, sound, bright lights flashing, as you may or may not see, depending on the screen. Everyone's got their phones up, ready to take a video of this moment. There is joy. There is music filling the atmosphere in this space. You go into the store, and I, I tried to get a best picture of it, but there's coloration all over the building. 
It's this beauty kind of wonder that fills the minds. And it's the promise of endless joy. I love this. This is what they said about this kind of exhibit of art. Um, The promise of endless joys fulfilled in owning these items was being happening. That Dior's carousel of dreams were right before you. These are all the beautiful dreams that you can have. The promise of endless uh, items that can bring you for $4,000, can bring you that joy that nothing else could ever bring. I was just walking around the store going, heck no, heck no. But it was this kind of like celebratory of like, your dreams will be fulfilled if you own this purse or this item. And people actually doing it. Um, It captures our wonders and it draws us with whispers of success. This manufactured joy. It promises, it makes promises that it can never deliver on. The joy of material things has a sell-by date. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that when you buy something, however amazing it is, will eventually lose its joy. Our brains are led to believe that no matter what I buy, the joy will run out. So be ready to move on to the next thing. Be ready to move on. This item, this device, this car that you have, don't worry, you're going to run out and we'll be ready for the next thing for you to need. The latest phone every single year, they They line up for an iPhone, which has a maybe better camera. It has maybe a slightly better software, but really there isn't much difference. Yet people line up every single year to get hold of this latest thing. Fashion, right? Um, I'm holding on to the skinny jeans, even though wide leg jeans is a thing right now. And I think it's a parable. I love the meme that people keep sending to me. Hold on to Jesus like your pastor's jeans. And so it's just a representation that I'm just demonstrating, hold on to Jesus like a skinny jean. I'm not going to move with it because I'm stuck in an era right now. But there's always this need that we need to have the latest and greatest new thing. And conveniently, they will always make that next new thing. Contrast with the church, St. Patrick's uh, Cathedral area, stunning inside, beautiful But as you see, not the lines, not the cameras, not the wow and amazement that you saw. The crowd being pulled to the wonder of the wheel that promises that it cannot keep when there is an eternal joy right next to it. Because the reality is, God is the most joyful being in the universe. Amen. Yep, that was really good. Let's try one more time. God is the most joyful being in the world. Even if you don't believe it, say it. Um, But God is the most joyful being. He is joy. He is the only thing that will satisfy this eternal longing. Yet joy is not obvious. And I think the church is this kind of thing. It's not the big wheel of bright lights and empty promises. But it's something that's often simple, overlooked, and I would argue very much misunderstood. The joy that we want. And so the two questions I want to answer for us today. What is the foundation of joy? And how do we sustain joy? What is the foundation of joy? How do we sustain joy? And so to answer that question, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 2 in your Bibles? Turn on your Bibles, whatever that looks like today. 
And in chapter 2, to kind of set the scene for our first answer of the question, what is the foundation of joy? It's good to always look at the context of the passage that you are in. Uh, Luke is a detailed doctor. Luke is a doctor and he's detailed in all that he does. And I love it that the detail brings out the joy. Who knew that doctors could be joyful? No, I'm joking. Actually, all the doctors in the room, actually, you guys are immensely joyful. When I thought about that, I was actually, no, all the doctors I know are so joyful. So I often think it's like the detail that you guys go into that you unearth the joy in things. And actually, Luke is the most joyful book in the whole of the New Testament. Um, Thankful for Bible software that helps me rather than me have to count all the times joy is put in. It brought up that joy is the most high proximity in Luke. The word joy is repeated the most in Luke. And actually, it's for you, how many of you like the sing-along movies, right? The songs that are joined. Luke is that. It has three of the most epic songs. Mary's Magnifica is the opening song, the, the type. Zachariah comes in with his song, and Simeon brings in his song. So it's a sing-along gospel that gets entered to us in the very opening part. And chapter 2 which the text that we actually read has three stories of joy which illuminate, which illuminate what joy is founded in. These three passages that you would know very well. The first one in chapter 2 was the scene of where the angels come and turn up to a people who have very probably little joy. Shepherds who were outcasts, people that were just minding their own business, And in this moment, joy enters, and the declaration of heaven is these opening words, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then probably eight days later from this declaration, Simeon joins in his song, and he took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God. You imagine this moment, he's been waiting his entire life. He takes hold of the Savior and lifts him with joy and says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. The very first words that he utters, he links this joyful experience to salvation. Like the very first story where the proclamation of joy is a savior. Notice the pattern. Savior, salvation. When you have prepared for the sight of all nations, for the light, for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of the people of Israel. And finally, the third story is from on the same day, just moments later, a woman called Anna. And she saw the same situation and her very first words as she saw the Savior. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks, give joy to God, and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for redemption of Jerusalem. Those three patterns that we're seeing, joy, salvation, joy. And so I would argue my first point in answering today is joy of salvation. Salvation is the deliver or rescue from danger, to give victory 
over. And actually, all religions understand this. Every religion is unified in this thought process that we need saved. Humanity has fallen. Um, we are flawed. We are sinful. And God has to make a way to restore us. But Christianity is the only religion in the world where salvation occurs by grace, the free gift of God in Jesus, through faith. Now, salvation through the whole of the Old Old Testament always looked like complete dependence on God. Anytime that God would come and move through a people, it was always the invitation from Abraham, come trust completely in me and I will bless you and through you, you will be a blessing. Moses, as he many times had to part Red Seas and the stories of God moving and in breaking, it looked like complete dependence, manna from heaven. Water breaking out of rocks. It was always complete dependence on God. And that's the same invitation that we have in the New Testament. Luke 10.9 says this, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, so if we speak out what we believe inside of our heart, that Jesus is not only a Savior, and get this today, there's a lot of times in Christianity that we keep God only as Savior, that God is my genie that helps me break through into the situations, that God, we need to move from Savior to Lord, meaning that he has all the things in my life. He um, orders my life. He orders the way that I think, the way that I move and the actions I have. If I confess that Jesus is Lord of my life, I confess that, and believe in my heart that Jesus raised from the dead, you will be saved. You will experience salvation when you confess that he is Lord and you believe in the resurrection. These two components meaning a total dependence on the gospel. And that is unlike any other religion. And so we can get rid of the notion that all religions lead to God. That is a falsehood, and even all religions would agree with that. No religion agrees with that principle. We all have a different avenue that says this is salvation and this is hope. But the reality is to the Buddhist who has to work to come to this sense of peace and wholeness through meditation, they must self-work and eliminate all emotions and come to this place of euphoria where they are content in all things. It is an inner working of meditation. And that's just self-work. Now, Christianity, meditation is a good thing. Don't get caught up in that. Meditation is good. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus alone, to the Muslim, they have to live by the Quran all the practices, and if they do enough right things, maybe they will get to Valhalla or to that place of enlightenment as well. So all the other religions, even Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, they are still derivatives of how to earn salvation, right? When you knock on a door, you get someone knocking on your door, it's all about how to achieve. They'll lead with that kind of grace message, but once you start just going through a couple of layers, it's all about how can I get saved, and that's so contrary to the gospel. 
Just, just if, if you don't believe me, just read the Old Testament. There are 39 books that will just annoy the crap out of you. As you see man just fail over and over again, as I read and put myself in the story, I'm like, yes, this is me. I cannot save myself. And we assume that God is closest to those who are blessed. We assume through the narrative of the world that blessing equals proximity to God, and that is not the salvation message. It's not the salvation message. Trying to achieve God's grace through my own means is not the way. No, God's salvation is completely different. He is drawn to our failure. He runs. He is a magnet to our mistakes. He sees our brokenness and he enters into this world. This is the good news gospel, that the word became flesh. The word became flesh, deity put on skin and walked amongst us in the dust, in the rubble. Not a God who throws a pep talk down from above. Hey, just believe this really good truth and you'll be saved. No, God comes into the space. The one who has compassion and does not sin. Someone who is contending for us in heaven, who has walked in our shoes, who overcame the power of sin, now comes to us in our brokenness and says, this is salvation. I'm drawn to your brokenness. I'm drawn to your situations. That when you're feeling like all hell is breaking loose in the back of an ambulance where I had my daughter unconscious, in this space of like seizure happening, I felt peace. I felt a hope. When we lost, we had our second miscarriage last year when Rach said, I felt a peace even though I had the news of we've lost life. That's the power of salvation. It comes in when you are most broken and it brings wholeness to you. It's not a salvation that you've got to earn. It meets you in your very broken situation. To the ones who are far broken, unable to pull themselves up out of the despair that they are in, all now changes. To those who face is in the dirt today, who maybe for yourself and your own shame or other people have smashed your face in the ground and you've put them before God saying, this is what you deserve. Jesus comes along and says, I don't condemn you. Go sin no more. He meets us in the dirt. He meets us in our struggles, in our failure, in our sin, in our missing out, in our trials. He comes. He is a magnet to the broken. This is salvation. And the greatest news I want you to get hold of in this salvation message is you are free. You have a key. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a key that unlocks the cage of despair. You have a key inside of you because of Jesus Christ through the Spirit. You have a truth, a light, a joy of salvation. Salvation becomes a key which unlocks the despair all around you. I want you to ask you a question just to take a moment and reflect. What do you put your joy in? So bring to mind right now, what brings happiness? What brings joy to your mind? Just take a moment just to pause. Family celebrations, success, the work, the, the, the reward of well done, the joy of your children, the joy of that new item 
right? Those things hold us. So would you say salvation is my greatest joy? Would that be the quick off the lip, like salvation is my greatest joy? Or no matter what I'm facing, I can count it all joy, as James says, because I know the one who's holding me. Where is that joy in your list of joys? Because I think this is what happens to us. When salvation comes, when we remember that, uh, that alleviation, that relief of someone loves me, they see me, they know me, they know my darkest, deepest secrets. I've, I've come to the realization that I'm a broken, flawed person. And yet there is a Savior who met me in my brokenness. We feel this just massive relief. And it's an amazing thing. But quickly, it becomes less about the one who saved. And quickly, how I am doing in my spiritual walk. That's one of the deepest sadnesses I see of of people who find the joy of the Lord. Get around new Christians because they find just everything exciting. They're just like, this is amazing, this truth. I didn't know that God was so loving. I always thought, da, 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 da. But then so quickly, salvation becomes, well, how are you doing in your spiritual walk? Have you grown yet? How are you reading your Bible? And suddenly all the salvation gifts become a burden. It become a burden, almost like a mirror reflection of how I'm failing when salvation was never about your earning into it from the beginning. And so we become, it's not the joy of salvation, it becomes the weight of salvation. We quickly become people who try to earn our ways and maybe when blessings aren't coming into our worlds, we just assume that God's really mad at us or he's not really that powerful Uh, Am I ticking the boxes of those around me? Am I showing up today? Some people don't even come to church because I can't face trying to put the mask on today. Can't face putting on the mask and and seeing Jesus. And Lord, let us never be that community that causes people to come come like they're meant to be, quote unquote. Let us be a community that has people come joyful and in sorrow, coming together to realign that God was always the one who gives, no matter whether we have or whether we're without, that he is good always. And so the real salvation of joy is smothered by the performance, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? And when we feel like God does not fulfill his part in how I think salvation should go, we begin to become the judge. We judge God's goodness. We judge God's joy level. We judge God's power. And I'm just reminded of Luke 15, the prodigals, the prodigal story. It's the prodigal son who extravagantly wastes his father's inheritance, who we know is restored by the extravagant waste of love that the father does to undo him. But I would argue the greatest part of the story is the extravagant waste of the older brother, who I think all of us actually more resonate with than any of the other two. And I always find it funny that Christians always pray the prayer, God, would you just bring home the prodigal? And it's like, I just see your life and you're the older prodigal. You've wasted the salvation joy, all the gifts that are all around you because you judged and determined what was right. And now somehow, and you wouldn't say this, but actually it's in a core belief of you that you deserve what you have. You actually deserve, and I know no one's going to openly say it, 
but I'm going to say it for you. There is a deserving that seems to build up in our lives, and we lose the posture of surrender. The joyous Father who gives, that's what joyous salvation does. It realizes what, it what it's being given, and it gives out freely. And so we can turn up into any environment because we know the gift that has been given to us. We don't deserve any salvation. We have never been good enough to earn any of it or any of God's blessings. doesn't matter how. Like my life, this is my problem. Like I've never deviated from the path of God. Always he has kept me. Always he has been with me. And I'm still who I am 38 years later, bathed in church. I'm not even like that kind of like C&E Christian. Like I was in growing up five times a week. Like I had connect group, I had youth group. We had two times on a Sunday. Like we were going after God's presence as a teenager. Like I was out in the pubs and the clubs, but I wasn't getting drunk, trying to minister to my friends. I was a worship leader, a teenager, pouring out his heart to God. And yet here I am, still working through the same challenges because it's a slow process. But the mistake that I can believe is that I deserve what I have done enough good things, God. Why aren't you blessing me? We frantically start kicking to try and earn this joy. Are you tired? Are you burnt out today? Because there is an invitation of a joy of salvation. Just to share a testimony today. Uh, I got saved last week. No rapturous applause? I got saved last week. There's a, uh, a message a few weeks ago that I preached as we finished out our series on being a people of renewal. And the very last characteristic that I put down was taking hold of courage. Taking hold of courage was um, the message. And I admitted my greatest failure. And this is what I believe. You can believe my failure for yourself. But over these four years... Of, of leadership to the date was me living in the however. We talked about Caleb, how Caleb um, was someone who was tenacious, all in. Even till 85, he still wanted the big mountaintop. And what I had found in my life, that I had lived in the however, and I wasn't wholehearted anymore. I was complaining about what seemed impossible. I had hardened my heart, and I defined what God could actually do through me and through this church body. I started to define what those things were, and I needed to repent. And so that week before preaching that message, repentance, turning my eyes to the cross, and inviting trust. But you know, God is never a one-and-done kind of guy. And I, just a pre-warning to you, if you give him an inch, he will take a mile. And so the following uh, two weeks, I would be in New York, and uh, the po pastor's cohort, we talked about kind of like evangelism, reaching the lost, and the importance of your story being that method and how you reach people. Your story is the most valuable thing about you. So don't diminish your story. Like I always didn't like my story because it was nothing radical. But my story is he's kept me. He has kept me. And that is a beautiful story in itself. And there was this question that was asked that like, caused me to want to cry in the corner. 
And this story, I don't know whether it was the Holy Spirit, but one of the speakers asked, um, are you fully showing up with your story? Are you fully showing up with your story? And instantly I felt this weight just upon me as like, yeah, I have not been fully who I am. In fact, I've been more confused at why a British person would be in this area. Why? And so I diminished my story. I tried to change who I was to be successful in the eyes of what this community needed rather than being the full story. So right, I, I've got a double whammy here. God, I don't trust you fully and I'm not fully showing up. Right? I'm just like, God, what are you doing to me? Like, just all this weight of just condemnation just falling on me. And, and condemnation is not, you know, from God. Conviction is. Condemnation is not. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't joyful in turning up to the next day. I was tired. I was emotionally kind of just like done through. But I chose still to turn up. And I, I normally I'm at the front of most things, but I just wanted to be at the back, back corner and just be there for the while. And we started to talk about contending prayer. And I was like, God, okay, I'll give you my all. I'll contend for, for whatever. I'll just keep on performing. And they just shared these beautiful stories of how the intimacy of the Father propelled them to contend for the area of New York that they were in. And they just have amazing works that they engage the community with. They do phenomenal things. But they kept saying, it's through the presence of God that any of this happens. It's through the presence and saturation of the love of the Father. And still, I knew I was a little fried because I was like, yeah, yeah, good for you. Right? Like, hard heart still working on here. And it was amazing, right? Like, again, giving myself to all things. But yet, I wasn't turning up fully. And they just offered a really simple invitation of repentance. They said, you can turn up today and we give you an opportunity to repent and turn your heart posture back to him. Come bring your salvation to him. You need to be saved today. And I went up with a bit of conviction, not much, not feeling too much, but I just out of obedience went forward and just knelt at the altar and said, God, I give you my trust. I'm tired of living in this space of half and half. I want all in. And I know some of the things that you're asking me of, and I trust you. I'm going to trust you again. I didn't feel anything overwhelming. I didn't suddenly get zapped on the floor or anything like that. But I went back to my chair, and then God spoke to me. He said, I don't want you to sing. I want you to sit just with your arms up. And so I sat there, and that's pretty hard because I like to draw up. I like to get myself going and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I just waited on God. And someone just came, skin in the game, right, came and just laid their hands on my shoulders. And as they just laid their hands on my shoulders, um, I noticed I was actually physically moving a lot. And she just laid her hands on me for what felt like five or ten minutes, a long time, not saying anything but just resting. I just felt this, the mother heart of God begin to pour over me. And I just began to felt the stillness begin to move over me. And she began to prophesy over me, just over and over again, this, this, this truth and lots of things, but this one thing I just want to share today. She said, I see you constantly putting down your crown and God picks it up and puts it on you and says, you have been counted worthy. God has says, I count you worthy. And it's kind of like that line in the sand. Okay, Johnny, stop with the silliness now. Okay, your time's done. Your, your story's over. Like that, that, that 
This is a new day. You are saved. The joy of salvation. You have now been awakened to the reality of the trust that you can have in a good, good father. And it was, it was beautiful. Like, I was buzzing, right? Like, it was just beautiful. And I knew how powerful it was because when I came home, it felt like all hell break loose on my mind. And I was like, okay, enemy, I know that you're after me because this breakthrough is something very serious, something very powerful. And, yeah, it, it was just one of those times that I cannot explain But I believe that what we want to be people, and just to land some of this here today, I just want to come briefly back to Simeon. Because I believe that how do we sustain this is a simple posture of devotion. Now there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Just a simple takeaway for today. Joy is sustained when we have a devotion of need. Joy is actually sustained in us when we have a devotion of need. And I think the problem that we battle as Westerners, as Americans, is that we don't have a devotion of need. Devotion meaning all in. Have you turned up today with a posture of, I have need today? Have I turned up today knowing that I am completely out of control, that I don't have the abilities to save myself? Because joy is sustained when we have a devotion of needs. And for us to even receive the seed that God wants to do, because we're going to come into ministry time here in a second, and I want to invite the worship team up. But if we want to sustain joy, and I want to bring to Uh, remembrance, not just your salvation that you experienced, but actually I want to bring to mind route your deep need of God. You need God. Simple message. That's what I love about the Christmas series is because we need God. Simeon had a devoted heart. He had a devoted heart that said, I'm going to turn up regardless. I'm going to put my trust in God regardless. I'm going to put my hope in him regardless because he had a a promise inside of him, a joy. And at the end of his life, we think, he got to see what God had before him. So did Anna. Anna, another story of someone who was so faithful over and over again, sustained their joy because both of them kept their need of God said that Anna, who lost her husband, probably in her teenage, early 20s, and she's 84, she's lived a life on her own, just devoted to God day and night, day and night. And these two people saw salvation. They saw real joy. How many of you want to see real joy? I know all of you want to put your hands up, so it's okay. I'm imagining you all putting your hands up. We all want real joy, but it's based in your need. You are all devoted people. You're all devoted people. You're devoted to something, but is it in the need of God? And I finished just with this illustration. There's this, and it's not real clear on the screen, but Rembrandt has this painting of Simeon's song of praise. 
And Rambert at 25 was an absolute genius at artwork. Uh, look it up online, the detail, we can't quite see it all, but the picture is so detailed and intricate, the, the careful uh, painting of lines and movement. It is such a beautiful piece. At 25 years old, this guy had it going and he wanted to highlight the glory of God and the glory of his goodness. But Simi, uh, sorry, Rembrandt's story was not always going to be one of joy. In fact, things, though it looked like, were under control in his mind. He had so much great skills and great grandeur. And it was kind of almost betraying his success. At 25 years old, he was successful. He was skilled in all things. And so it's kind of like the painting was showing his brilliance my skill sets, my grandeur, my grand pillars. And then the year that he dies, dies at 63 years old. This is the picture, the year that he dies, that he paints. The skill is not there. It's very much an impression piece. But notice that all the crowds are gone, the columns, the architecture, gone is the brilliance of light that was beaming down on the, the kind of scene and it becomes to an intimate moment. Rembrandt had lost his wife in life, lost three of his children, his fortune, his reputation and this is the year that he was going to die. What I love is that, yeah, the grandeur has been removed. But what I love is there is joy just in the king. Simeon and a stranger in the shadows is the depiction as he goes to die that this is the joy that he finds. This is what joy looks like in the king alone. All the older man wants to do, Rembrandt wants to do is hold the king. There is a need for us all today to be saved, to receive the gift of repentance. We're about to sing a song together called, Oh Come to the Altar. And if we just lower the lights, I know that you need saved today. I'm not looking for reaction to make you feel better though. I'm not looking for a reaction that will make any of us feel better. I'm looking for you to have an engagement with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I think there are people that need saved today like I need saved. I think salvation should be, as, as Paul says, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we are yet to be fully saved. And in that in-between, there is a joy of salvation. There is a joy, an invitation of incredible joy that says, come as you are take off the burdens which are not God's and pick up my burden pick up my ways my rhythms and as I said Christmas is for those who hate it most you've now come to a place of where maybe you've lived under an illusion of joy you thought joy was in material things you thought joy was in this this and this and you found it all wanting even joy in our friends and family will not sustain us. We can feel the pain of lost loved ones, but actually joy is only found in holding the King. As He meets you in your brokenness and says, I have saved you, go sin no more.
go change your life. And so just every eye closed, just as we prepare our hearts.